You are listening to the Therapy Business Matters podcast in association with Physio Matters with myself, Rob Bevan, as well as Jack Chu. We're going to be chatting all things business, marketing and sales to help try and raise standards as well as ethics across these areas. Now this month, Jack and I discuss compliance as well as how we gain trust and rapport with our own patients. We cover why this is so important and what happened when we haven't done this so well in the past and what we have succeeded with in order to improve these issues over the years with our own patients, both from behind the scenes standpoint as well as inside the treatment room. So without further ado, I'll let you sit back and enjoy the latest episode of Therapy Business Matters. You're listening to the Therapy Business Matters podcast with me, Jack Chu, and my colleague, Rob Bevan. And this is episode two. We're delighted to be joining your popular first episode whereby we talked about some of our common failures. I think that that's because people just love to revel in our failures, Rob. But I don't know. Uh, some people seem to enjoy the fact that we came to some solutions. We're yeah. creating a therapy business podcast that definitely is uh, far from guru centered it's kind of us admitting and reflecting as business owners that are in this space that have got a massive passion for business ethics as well as then the healthcare uh, underlying ethics that kind of drive the fact that we don't want to suddenly become shopkeepers and salespeople, but also the recognition in these challenging times that we do need to keep the lights on and so we're trying to help you navigate that by having these awkward conversations um that well hopefully not awkward between us but awkward topics and having these <laughs> sensible conversations now what we decided to do today is talk a little bit about compliance patient compliance which obviously is understood in a clinical term but also getting people to comply within your business practices and systems and also creating them so that then the, the patient doesn't feel like it, they're having to comply with things that feel counterintuitive and we're going to talk, talk a little bit about that Rob, could you start us off a little bit by telling me why we fancied this as a topic, uh, as a priority in episode two, as well as then some of your first instincts when you started to then brainstorm the word compliance? So, yeah, I mean, compliance is a huge issue, as you said, both from kind of a, a clinical standpoint and then also from a business standpoint, as you said, you know, to get the results which you want, you know, patients have to comply to your to your recommendations, really, don't they? You know, if they, you know, if they don't, don't comply to what you recommend to what you're recommending, then they're not going to get the results which they wish and they want the from 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 the from the consultation. Um, so I think when I kind of started brainstorming the the compliance model, is looking at you know what is the problem with compliance and why do some patients not comply? And compliance is basically kind of improving trust and gaining rapport between kind of the therapist and the and the patient. If that patient's not complying, then they're getting poor outcomes. They're decreasing their chance to improve. They might have, you might notice you have improved in increased cancellations. You might have increased drop-offs. And it's ultimately down to a kind of a lack of respect between the, the patient and the therapist. So I think the first thing that helps garner compliance with patients is the first impressions which you make with them. And that can be from multiple different avenues. That can be from a phone call standpoint. That can be from visiting a website standpoint. That can be from an email standpoint, you know, the first kind of conversations which you have with them over email. Um, and also the first time you meet them. So I think all of those touch points that the patient first interacts with you or your clinic or your receptionist are vital to kind of have a look at. And something that we looked at and kind of looked at every single touch point and went, okay, so how do we answer the phone? 
you know, what are the phrases that we use when we pick up the phone? You know, are we wishing people, you know, well in their day? Are we being smiling when we pick up the phone? Are we kind of, you know, picking up the phone quickly? Are we leaving it to run too long every single time? So we kind of looked at it from that standpoint. Um, we looked at the wording of, of our emails. Um, so when, you know, patients book with us, um, the, automatically the, the system which they kind of go into, they get automatic um, uh, reminder email and confirmation of booking and they get kind of a what to expect email um, which is you know the, the basic things you know where are we where can they park what should they bring do they have to bring a change of clothes um, will they have to change down all the little questions you're kind of like an FAQ which patients you know might you know ring up later and kind of ask if they don't know so we get all of that and obviously at the moment as well that's got kind of COVID screening information and you know all that type of stuff in it as well because obviously we're recording this in the center of mm. center of COVID times um, and then how they come into the clinic as well you know when a patient comes to the clinic you know often we realize that patients are quite nervous um, as we expected you know we forget that you know a we're not in pain and we do this a lot of the time but when patients have a medical consultation they may have never seen anyone like us before they may be worried about changing down. They may be worried that they've got a lifetime injury that's never going to get better. So often quite nervous. So a big welcome is a big, big part of our, uh, our, our entry to the clinic. So whenever, whenever a new patient arrives or whenever any patient arrives, really, it's always welcome, Mrs. Smith. You know, we greet everyone by their preferred first name or kind of, you know, if they're of a certain age group, a, uh, you know, Mrs. Smith or Mr. Smith, you know, some, until, you, until you get corrected. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. I, I think what I only just flag on that, Rob, is that what you we described early with uh, the, the respect between the patient and the clinician uh, being one of the key variables that might garner good or, good or negative on the compliance front, I think is fascinating because that's exactly the sort of thing that not just on a clinician level, but also their, their, once they're engaged with it, their ideas, but also then the brand, the clinic, the environment that they're in, it's, it's super important. As you mentioned, those early touch points, this is before they've even met the clinician for the first time, they're all already starting to understand as to whether or not, for want of a better term, this, this clinic, this person has got their shit together, right? Is this someone that's earning their compliance? Is this someone that's earning their respect? Is this someone that knows what they're doing, not just in a, on a clinical level, but also that they're not going to be so administratively slack that they're going to turn up and be triple booked. And those things really matter to people, especially those that are otherwise vulnerable that have been potentially shopping around trying to find uh, to pick a winner. Um, yeah. they, they are in a situation where they might be understandably in a more neurotic state than they would otherwise be. And so that's another reason why those things matter. And I'm just making frantic notes because as ever, you've got more attention to detail than me. So I'm about <laughs> to do, uh, act on your advice straight out the gates. But, but do go on. Tell us a little bit more about then that, uh, that you're, at the, you're at the greeting point and you're feeling like those first impressions really matter with regards to impre- in, in compliance. Yeah. Um, and going back to that, just if I go back to one of those other touch points, that's a big thing for us as well in terms of that administrative administrative organization. You know, a big bugbear of mine is moving patients. You know, I will never, pretty much never move a patient, um, you know, and it's typically you get, you know, we've had new grads work from us and very other you know, people come from us and, and they will, oh, do you want, can I just move that patient up half an hour so I can finish early? You know, that type of, you know, conversation and i i detest moving patients for for whatever reason um you know i will almost never say yes to that unless there's a, a very rare because it, it appears disorganized and it appears unorganized from an admin perspective and patients don't like being moved 
they think it's just because you want to go home early. You know, patients aren't, aren't stupid. They see through that straight away. So that's a, a big, a big mm. part of it for me. Um, it, sets pres- it sets a funny precedent as well, doesn't it? Where, oh, look, these diaries are far more malleable than I realized. Therefore, I'll change at the drop of a hat next week. Exactly. It's setting the, that precedent. It's ex- exactly the right terminology. So they, they understand. And then what was the second point you asked? Sorry, it was on the... Onto, onto that first oh, the first impression. So that they arrive. Yeah. And then it's, I mean, the first impressions from, from our standpoint are things like dress code. You know, we don't have a dress code, but, you know, we expect, you know, smart appearance, you know, um, you just respectable appearance. When someone comes into a treatment room or into a, into a waiting room or whatever the place is, it should be smart and clean and tidy, not an overflowing bin in the corner, not, you know, a weird sharp bin in the corner kind of overflowing and, you know, remnants of the last patient kind of in there. Everything should be clean and smart. You know, people are paying for private care, you know, with with myself and you, you know, and to be fair, whether they are or not, you know, you should have the same welcoming environment, whether they're getting a free service or a paid service, you know, it should be a mm-hmm. smart professional environment. Um, I think Especially that's big... these days, I think there's been a marked difference, hasn't there, between those that aspire to those standards anyway and felt that, that, that then there's others that have described just how much they've had to step up in that way for yeah. hygiene reasons because of the COVID situation. And it really shouldn't have been as much of a gap for you know the PPE stuff's novel, uh, aerating and spacing and stuff. I'm not getting in the way of saying that these things aren't different, but some descriptions of the, the gap between their normal processes and the now tells yeah. me that there was some lack of attention to detail to things like cleanliness and, and, and appearance and bins think- and sharps, et cetera. I think that will be a huge point going forward to kind of 2021 and how businesses change will be the visibility of cleanliness. And I think that previously we didn't see, you know, you went into a shop and you didn't see anyone clean. You just expected it to be tidy. And when you went into a treatment room or a medical clinic, you just expected it to be clean and tidy. All the cleaning went on behind the scenes, whereas now people are much more visible in their cleanliness. And I think that will be a change that people want to see. You know, now people think about how many people have touched that door handle or that you know treatment bench or that you know desk in front of you people always think about that whereas you know 12 months ago no one did really i'm sure some people did but very few people did so i think that's a big change for kind of a lot of private all businesses really going forward mm, no it's a, it's a really good point now one of the things that i i wondered about as well which uh, i can't help but play into uh, some of the stereotypes of each of our professions here but when um, you don't have to go far back and also you know we're both admitting that our style of contemporary practice isn't as widespread to make it the norm yet but generally speaking compliance as a topic it's a funny one I find um, that people might not expect on this show so early doors because in many ways it's something that didn't used to matter as much because of the perception of what we used to do so in a in a to take the uh, caricature chiropractic example is that essentially people were coming in coming in out of alignment that was then provocative and causal of pain and to be readjusted and aligned and then leave in better shape and pain free because their compliance with that intervention is the literal attention uh, that them attending and then being worked on similarly yeah. in a physio sense is that fundamentally um, the, the fact that they might well have been not dissimilar mechanisms, but usually might not be manipulation. That's the assumed intervention, but other, other hands-on work or tape or strap. I don't need to comply apart from handing you my knee to be strapped, yeah. for example, or something like that. And so now it's because of the contemporary model in which you and I practice, which is functional rehab centric, you need the patient to be engaged, not just with the clinical, but then with the systems, because this is a process, a journey that we're going on together. And I think that that's something that really emphasizes the reason for us wanting to do this show. 
I, I think yes, but also no on that because yeah. in the if you go back to the traditional model of you know the, the mechanistic model of that kind of passive care, where whoever administers it, whether it's a massage or whether it's a manipulation or whatever, you still had to garner that compliance from a patient in order to stick to that treatment plan. And you know, arguably, right. if you're recommending someone has you know thirty six treatments, you know, or whatever, you know, we can get into that in a different episode. But you know, if you're if someone needs you know, their spine to be, you know, should we say realigned over the course of six months, you have to have that compliance for that patient to turn up twice a week, three times a week for, you know, for, for six weeks. So you know, arguably it's harder to do that than to, uh, I mean, I've never done that. So I, I can't really talk to that, you know, model per se, but yeah. you know, the getting a patient to, you know, come and visit you that many times, they have to have a, they have to have bought in to, to what your recommendation. Yeah, yeah. So what you mean? I mean, I was, I was probably uh, my, even my stereotype was a bit extreme in that. I suppose I was thinking about someone that comes in saying, right, um, you go in for a fix and then say to the patient, you're not needing to go on a compliance because you say, just come back when your pelvis is back out of alignment. Yeah. Or you can leave me again. I suppose it's the, the extreme of that model was that they weren't even needing to garner a return. Obviously it's rare. And, uh, and yeah. I think you're right to sort of highlight that. Um, now w- what, um, what we would say that the compliance feature that you've talked about so far is almost pre-intervention yeah, um, or pre-assessment. When we get into the weeds on um, how you then develop that during the session, or do you feel that actually then the compliance piece uh, comes back with a vengeance afterwards? Where, where are we up to? I think that you are always trying to gain that rapport with the patient um, the entire way through the session. You know, so when you, as soon as they've sat down in your treatment room and you're, you're going through that medical history, you know, you are professional in the way that you approach that. You know, you're asking the right questions, you know, we spoke about you know, things like first names, for example, using their first name during the consultation, if that's appropriate. Obviously, in some patients, it's not appropriate to use their first name. But if that's appropriate, you know, you can sit and talk to you know, Steve and you can say, you know, thanks, Steve. You know, and there's a joke about, you know, peep show overusing that, that you know, using the, the, the first name to garner compliance. But, you know, used sparingly. It's it's a good way to you know show oh, that no, patient it's definitely that you, you personalizing and that you've remembered yeah. it and that you've been attentive enough to have actually recognized yeah. it. Yeah. And then uh, you know I like to you know really you know make sure I'm on the same page with that with with a patient um, mm. and understanding where that patient is coming from, why they have actually come to see you because yes they've come to see you because you know they've had back pain for twenty years but there's a reason that they chose to come to see you this week and the reason they haven't come to see you you know two two years ago or something like that something has changed have they just had a grandchild that you know they can't play with have they just bought a new house and they want to do the garden and they're not feeling strong enough to handle that load so kind of you know understanding where they're coming from in that respect I think is a, a huge part of it and then so I guess then to kind of turn it round to you in that respect once you you know you made those recommendations you know to, to a patient we've all had those patients who you know anyone listening and you know i could describe a patient you know exactly what i'm talking about the patient that comes in there and they say i just need this you know i I've, i know what I've, i know what i've i've had i've had this problem before i saw a chiropractor and he just did x or i saw a physio and you know he just did y and so if you could just do that it'd be brilliant but you know that this isn't going to work like that you know that a because that's not what you do or B because this is a, a different problem and it might take, you know, that it's going to take a bit longer. How do you handle that patient where you feel that if you don't do what they say, it's going to kind of derail the entire consultation and kind of go off the tracks a bit. 
Yeah, it's a really good point. I think some of my answer, I wouldn't help. I couldn't help myself to probably go too clinical for what is smart for this podcast. And I have some other analogies that I might be able to unpack elsewhere. But in the mo- in the most part, the, the 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 key variables for me on that is to recognize and acknowledge what they're saying and why that might be that that existed before. So they're describing, for want of a better term, a cookie cutter approach to their care. They're just hoping that you can comp- you can comply with their expectations. And then you've professionally analyzed the fact that you just don't think that's a smart move going forward. So you're then in this situation where some would argue, and I understand it, I'm not a fan of it, but I understand it, that I ain't got enough time on the clock. They can have a cookie cutter this time and I'll move them over time towards my treatment plan. Now, it, for me, and especially in my businesses, while sympathetic to the motivations of someone to do that, very rare that we do that. Okay, it's something that fundamentally some of the variables that they're describing that they want might be able to be integrated within the rehab plan being proposed. But if there's a huge differential, then I think that that's where it becomes pandering. Essentially, if you then don't then make a case for why your treatment uh, recommendations are the ones that are the primary, um, then engage in that and allow that low-grade conflict to occur if it's necessary, then essentially you are you are pandering. You are allowing yourself to be the customer is always right style shopkeeper, which I just don't think is good health ethics. So to answer the question is that by recognizing that as it stands, getting them to explain exactly what it is that they were expecting and wanting, depending on what it is, there is then the clinical rebuttal to that thing that they did, I don't think they did it for the reasons that you described it. You know, the, the fact that manipulation might have benefited you briefly before. One, you're back here anyway. Two, I don't think it was changing you structurally as you thought. I'm, I'm obviously paraphrasing here. You go gentler than this in many cases. But generally speaking, trying to allow yourself to professionally, especially if you've built that rapport, they're liking you, you've been very thorough. That's a key thing for me on compliance that I haven't mentioned yet. You being the person that when you're about to pitch them your treatment plan, which I consider to be a bit of a pitch, and we can talk about sales, I'm sure we will on this show in the future, that that then when you're pitching them your treatment plan to some extent and working on it with them, then the fact that you've been the person that's been more thorough than anyone else they've ever met before is standing you in good stead for them complying with it, right? If you've been a bit haphazard and being a bit of a swagger, arrogant person about it, then you generally punt in and they'll feel that and they'll think, well, how do you know that those things that have worked before aren't going to work again? So you want to be thorough. And then in, in, in then when you're explaining to them as to what your plan is and you're guiding them through it, spell it out to them as thoroughly as they need it and engage them in further questions so i called it a pitch but like any good sales pitch it's two-way it's not that you then preach to them and blurt it out or write it down all for them as if you're as if they just need to sign a contract it's that you then have in that almost negotiation with them especially if their expectations are different when they came into what you're then trying to go for and that you need to spell that out as thoroughly as they need it and some need lots and some don't some you think are completely wedded to their initial point that they've made or i just need this and it turns out that they were very they they felt like strong views but they were loosely held it turned out that in the process of assessment some of the back and forth that you'd had about something that surprised them has meant that they've already left that at the door so you sometimes you don't need to go in with as much venom as you might have thought and then other times you thought that there was something or nothing and they didn't really have a strong view either way and they've not even articulated it yet it turns out that they they're not into that at all and that the style of care that you're delivering is something that they're averse to and so you you just don't 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 allow yourself to be surprised by it and then once you're in that point 
I personally find huge value in making sure you spell out to them the difference between what do they need to do and comply with to get this better on a minimum? What engagement processes do they need to go through to really scale their functional ability and challenge their body enough for it to change in the direction that they want to achieve their goals? And then I spell out the gap between what they need at baseline. Like This is the bare minimum almost in terms of both contact with us as well as their engagement with how they're going to live for the next whatever period of time it is, depending on the condition problem. And then I spell out the sort of upper limit of what we can do to participate within that. So there's a need thing and then there's a want thing, right? And I'm, I'm basically describing to them i don't know it's up to you as to how involved you would like us within this process and that's where you've got a clinical baseline that's come in and all your clinical reasoning is informing this but then admittedly there is some business that comes on top there in terms of how involved you want me and my business to contribute to you improving this health problem and that's kind of i hope i'm making myself clear there rob that that for me is where i always come from a clinical point and then there is admittedly a bit of a business finisher yeah, I, I kind of call that like gain control by giving up control. And it's the, you know, often these are the pa- the patients who are used to holding all the cards and they're used to making all the decisions themselves. They might be in, you know, high powered offices. They might not be. They might just have very, you know, difficult children who they're used to, you know, giving lots of, uh, <laughs> give, giving lots of, um, you know, kind of commands to. But yeah, it's, it's you know, it's, it's kind of a bit like you do with a child really in the way that you know you don't let them have all of the choice but you give them some choices to choose from which you have chosen if that makes sense you know <laughs> it's that you're giving them option a b and a b or c yeah. with all of the outcomes you know and you want to give option a b or c you know you you're they're all ethical they're all evidence-based they're all the approaches you want to you want to do and you're letting them choose so they feel they've had a choice you're not giving them complete free reign but you're letting them you know this is what happens if you went down option a a bit like you know if you went to you know uh, get a holiday you know and you, the state agent could say cool this is option a this is option b this is option c you know you you are you're choosing the package which you kind of what you want and i you know the package is a interesting term but you know what i mean in terms of the uh you're with complexity isn't it some of the language that we use but i I get what you're meaning and i think one of the things that's so challenging with that is that it is a fine line because what Rob's describing there, of course, if done, done badly, is incredibly patronising and that they yeah. would see it through. And if they, for a second, felt like they were sat in a clinic room while some uppity professional then spelt three options out as if it was pick your toy as if they're a child, then, of course, that's going to be flying the face of all the things we've mentioned before. But what, what I you know, totally hear, if done well, is that you've then got an opportunity to then explain to them that here are the the different versions of what i'm proposing the range of things to show that we're not being narrow-minded we're not being blinkered it's not my way or the highway this is shared decision making but similarly there is an upper limit to how much i'm going to comply within notions of what you're describing that i just do not believe in i do not think stand the test of any evidence-based scrutiny and also aren't ways in which it's a negotiation i as a professional cannot comply with that worldview that process that way that you're describing it and unfortunately for some when you confront them with the fact that despite the fact that you might be waving money in front of my nose right that can't be bought and that's rare but sometimes there are people yeah. that then say well here's here's i hear what you're saying but how much for you to just get on with what i suggested and that's a power play of sorts and that's where unfortunately you've, you've just got to get closely in touch with your own professional ethics as well as the understanding on the clinical level as to why it is 
that you don't want to comply with that? What are the downstream yeah. effects that you're trying to mitigate? And how do you want <clears throat> to be associated as a person, as a brand? And also, are you going to sleep well tonight? Uh, it might be yeah. on a pile of money, but you're still going to sleep well. <laughs> yeah, and I don't know about you, but you know, from, from in terms of your profession compared to mine, but in terms of being a chiropractor, I, I see that a lot. And something I spoke about at Therapy Live, actually, was, you know, being a chiropractor, I will see a lot of patients, and I see less and less now, but I see, you see a lot of patients who, you know, will come to see me and say, oh, I've seen a chiropractor for 30 years, you know, every time my you know, pelvis goes out, I have it realigned, and I'm good for another six months type thing. And, you know, and so I'll probably see more of that particular patient, say, than you probably will do. And that's a really hard thing to manage. And initially, you know, it's a, as a new grad, you kind of you think, well, what do I do? You know, you, you want every patient to be your best friend, you know, and that's another probably another topic for another day. Yeah. Um, and it's a it's a really hard thing to say, you know, that's kind of not what I do or, you know, how do you approach that? And I kind of see it as you've got option A, which is you just do what you do, what they want. And then there's all sorts of problems with that in terms of they're the one who's then deciding their treatment plan and it's patient led care. And, you know, it might not be the most appropriate treatment choice at that particular time. And I did it, had a patient once who, who just wanted some manipulation. I think it was my third ever patient in clinical practice and he had loads of treatment before and I did it and he came in and he was loads better, loads worse the next time. And I was like, Oh damn it. You know, I knew, I knew I shouldn't have done that. That's sort of thing. <laughs> um, yeah. And you know, or you've got kind of, you know, option B, which is you just shut down their, you know, be a bit too dismissive of their kind of beliefs, which is, you know, mm. a surefire way to, you know, lose a patient's respect. Um, and they're probably then just going to go elsewhere. They might go and find someone who will adhere to their beliefs. And then they probably end up having, you know, what we'd see as worse off care, you know, in the, in the, in the long run, yeah. or as you rightly said, option B kind of, there's a option C, a middle ground where you, you know, if appropriate, do something towards what they want, you know, whatever that might be. But then once you start adding in all the other good stuff on top of that, often very quickly, the patient will go, I've never had another chiropractor do this before, or I've never had any, you know, exercises given to you before, or I've never had any X, Y, or Z, you know, you, you do all this other stuff, you know, and it's uh, and then very quickly they'll uh, kind of, you know, trust you. I mean, you one of the things I love seeing in our feedback forms is it's, it's a different type of physio. It's different. It's a different style. And I know that that's something that the language that you guys have, have had in clinic across, especially with regards to yourself personally and the, and the sort of flying in the face of what they expected, but in a good way. And I think that that's useful. And I think that people underestimate the novelty of that and the fact that that does help you stand out and a USP emerges from that, that you're being authentic, you're being novel, and you're also then making that quite a useful sales point and that that then gets chins wagging rather than yeah. you being the cookie cutter. Just to unpack my analogy as well, just to, yeah, I thought it'd be worth me just tethering that to a clinical example. So someone who's got a patella tendinopathy that you've evaluated, it's quite grumpy. They've maybe tried a bit of a couple of self-care. They've rubbed an ice cube on it for long enough. They've, they've done some particular home strapping. They bought some new shoes even and some clown sold them a mattress. You know, you're just talking about people that have then done what they think they can from what they read in certain magazines. And then they come in you assess them and you realize that this is quite grumpy and they've taken themselves quite low. Say they were, uh, um, let's just 
make a case that they are someone that's a gym bunny plyometric bit of a crossfitter like rob as you can see his physique quite quite the crossfit physique on, on my <laughs> screen here um but so they do lots of box jumps etc typically patella tendinopathy reserved for basketballers netballers and volleyball but you know your crossfitters and stuff doing so much plyometrics yeah. i've been seeing more of that so you assess it and evaluate it and recognize that they needed your classic graded functional rehab and to be challenged in the gym at appropriate dosages etc so what i'm describing in terms of that range that you'd then be pitching them to try and garner compliance is just spelling out to them the time frames that are typical for these sorts of injuries you overcook that you're going to come across as a bit of a loon if you undercook it you're going to overpromise and underdeliver. so it's tough in itself but let's just say we take the stereotype and go for three months and say that we you might not overpromise and say that they're completely recovered by them but say we did certainly turn a corner and have you back to to training at a decent level by three months if you go through this process now in this instance you've got someone who's fairly well self-motivated you may well say that at a baseline if you do these things right and you engage with our exercise programs which will send you on email etc and use the technology appropriately then you're in a situation where you could come in and see us and just almost for checkups on a monthly basis. But by if you were complying with this on a regular basis, doing the right dosages and keeping in touch with us just as a real soft touch um, approach, then generally speaking, you could, well, you know, that, that time frame still stands. However, if you want us to be more attentive than that, if you want to train in our gym, if you want to be under our supervision, if you want to be put through your paces in such a way that is more professional expertise to how much that dosage matters and to potentially be getting you phased in a few weeks sooner to some plyometric work than you might have otherwise felt comfortable doing yourself on your sore bits then that's something that we could see potentially each week but that's not because we're suggesting that see us each week you're going to get better quicker it might well happen, but I'm just describing this pathology is something that it's up to you and, and what you're up for and what you're even up for paying for. Sometimes it even comes to as to whether or not you come and see us weekly or monthly. Isn't, you know, and, and then that's kind of what I was getting at is he's spelling out that range and saying that this is the, this is the condition. This is the pathology. This, this is the trajectory of which I would aspire you to, but then on a business level, it's not just how much do you need us? How much do you want us involved? How much do you trust us to challenge you in this? But then that's a massive difference from me saying you come in every every other day and we'll we'll tickle it better. It's just it's just not that situation. And and that's why the difference between thinking business first, but then laying on some clinical overlay of oh, what should we do now that they've agreed to come in at this frequency? But start from the clinical and then add those business variables on top, which are appropriate for then getting them yep. to comply with the systems that Rob so eloquently unpacked in terms of how can you get them to then comply with your business systems to make it more efficient, which helps us to help them. No, perfect. That, that's, that's bang on. And it's, it's that, and this is where it's always challenging bordering the clinical with the business, with the, that kind of ethical standpoint. And, mm -hmm. you know, it's because you, you know, there are people all over the world who, you know, as you said, they'll come in with a patella tendinopathy and someone will say to them, yeah, you know, it's going to take three months. You can see me once a week and, you know, we'll do some massage and it'll get better in two months. Or you can see me, you know, once a month and it's going to get better in six months, you know, and they're, 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 they're pitching it from that standpoint. And that's the kind of business first model as opposed to that kind of clinical first model. So it's it's understanding the, where the line is. and But I think as long as you are going for that clinical first model and you know where the boundaries are and you know realistically what this is going to take, then it's not, it's very easy to know where that ethical line is.
Definitely. And it's, I have a lot of sympathy for those that came through at a time that's, uh, you know, they're, they're longer in the tooth than us and, and have a few more grey hairs than us, meaning that they were in a situation where they genuinely felt like if this person could afford it, that daily ultrasound of said tendon would be perpetuating said recovery. And therefore, that was in that moment in time, it was ethical for them to say in an ideal world, you know, if you were, if you were a top athlete, I'd just be seeing you and doing this and, and perpetuating your healing and that. And, and so when they're needing to divorce themselves from that logic, some are just thinking, well, we know that ultrasound's old hat, but then I'm going to replace that with shockwave in this tendon example and think that that can just be the similar logic. Whereas unfortunately for them, we know that you know, it may well be that there's a good place for shockwave and that needs to be done more than monthly certainly but that should be done when other things have failed a quality rehab process is not working the soreness is such that that's that they're not able to respond to train at a dosage that's sensible therefore you're needing to take the edge off you might have a rationale for some shockwave but fundamentally if you start in with the shockwave because that happens to be a fairly lucrative package and one that might comply the patient with this notion of being fixed then again, you're just getting it back to front. It, it yeah. doesn't mean necessarily that what we're describing is one that has uh, is a model of which isn't as lucrative. In fact, it's something that garners the response that we would always argue is something that's more sustainable ongoing and also means that you're probably not going to get people, you get people to comply with the whole package of care rather than them just having this false expectation and then dropping off like Rob said was the risk at the start. Yeah. No, exactly. And then then that then spirals into the you know, chronicity, you know, patient who they've had a, you know, patellotendinopathy for, you know, 18 months, you know, and they, they're they not going to the gym, they're not exercising and all the problems that they will kind of spiral from there, I guess. Yeah. And you, you mentioned it at the start is that like, that is the you become part of the problem then you've not realized it you you were trying to do things right but you've become another name on their list that failed to help them when because you've never really had a thorough shake you know you didn't manage to garner compliance and then you just become so oh, i tried that and actually they saw you twice assessment and one and that you yeah. never you never had a hope helping them even if it was yeah. the right way around now can you bring us to a close rob by just sort of suggesting a few of the ways in which you would then we've described the pre the during we're starting to tickle some of the after how do we yeah. then make sure we garner compliance ongoing so there's a technique which forgive me if someone's listening that actually came up with this this phrase because i'm not sure who it was but they they call it zoom in zoom out and it's something i i do a lot which is at the end of every session with with every patient it's a recap when i recap with that patient what we did and what what they achieved so we did x y and z in this session you know you've made this progress today you're doing very well you know giving them compliments you know obviously being careful of that patronizing type approach but basically you know kind of recapping what you did in that session which is the zoom in and then zooming out and recapping where they are in that whole journey of that if that's a three-month metallotendinopathy you know when you came in you were x and now you are kind of you know so much better your your pain scores are down whether that's a vast whatever it might be you're you know your strength improve. We're now doing 30 reps of this without pain. You're, you know, your morning stiffness is down to five minutes when it was 30 before and having an overall recap. And then after that, you finish that, I will then kind of look at where we're going. So, okay, you're, you, you've done this, we've achieved this. The plan for next session is X, Y, and Z. And then, you know, they know where they are in that continuum. They are, have got some focus. They've got some drive. They're not just turning up thinking, Oh, what am I doing today? You know, where am I? And so they know where they are on that time frame, and mm. it gives them a, an outcome, gives them a goal, gives them something to look forward to, I guess. Um, so I'll, I'll, I'll do a lot of that. Um, 
And then the last thing I'll do probably is you know, marginal gain type stuff, which is, you know, I always remember facts about patients, whether it's their children's names, their husband's names, their wife's names, their pet's names, and little nuggets of information like that, that I can discuss with the patient. And I find that if you remember that their husband is a gardener or is a Manchester United fan, and you know, you can bring that up and, you know, very quickly, if you haven't seen the patient 12 months and they come and see you and you say, oh, how's Barney the dog? You know, it, it generate, it might be cheesy, but it does generate that you know, kind of rapport. And I think will, if they trust you, improve that compliance and then the key the key difference there is don't don't do it if you don't care don't do it yeah. for effect like ask after Barney if you're bothered <laughs> because yeah. Yeah. And, and if you're not bothered and you're not that style of person don't force that issue because that's just cheese yeah. and then just to just to finish then just make sure that as rob has said so well at the start you comply people with your systems you don't be bloody awkward at the at the uh, chip and pin machine you know it's just you're paying <laughs> yeah. for your services don't be weird about it don't leave that awkwardness as the thing that they leave with you know, make sure you just comply them with your systems make sure they're into the in the process make sure you've got the right email address and phone number for your crm type stuff and then you just get on with it and see them next time make sure they've had those reminders and they know how to contact you and that you can be consistent with that um for all your patients so that then you've not got um people contacting individual clinicians on their private numbers that they might have found on linkedin etc we've yeah. seen that happen just make sure you've looked at your systems thoroughly enough so that there's not going to be any disruption to your compliance ongoing and i think if we've uh, if we've been thorough with our systems we've nailed it there mate <laughs> yeah perfect mate. <laughs> no, that's that's no, thanks, no. A, thanks a lot any suggestions that anyone has for these episodes then please let us know we've got a few that we're going to rattle off in coming weeks many thanks to those of you that have fed back so far make sure you like it and share on this feed as well as making sure you subscribe to this on therapy business matters because we're not going to be boosting every episode on the physio matters feed so do follow and uh, follow us along uh, what's your social media handles mate uh, i am rob cairo on twitter and uh, rob underscore cairo on instagram which i rarely use but <laughs> fair enough i'm, I'm yeah. at jack hu on twitter and of course follow physio matters at tpm podcast wherever on every social media whereas twitter is the only one i use personally um, many thanks as ever to, to rob and we'll see you next month thanks mate we'll see you next month okay.